Each year the Bagginses had given very lively combined birthday parties at Bag End, but now it was understood that something quite exceptional was being planned for that autumn. Bilbo was going to be 111, 111, a rather curious number and a very respectable age for a podcast. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. And what episode is it, guys? It's a very exceptional one. It's our... I don't remember how to say it. 11 first. <laughs> also known as 111. I can handle that. 111. Our 111st <laughs> birthday. And uh, we are celebrating it because that is a very uh, celebratory age for a hobbit. So what we're going to do in celebration of our 111st birthday slash podcast episode, <laughs> we are going to discuss only... The Lord of the Rings, which is where that idea comes from. Bilbo turns 111 in uh, the first book, uh, uh, The Fellowship of the Ring. And so we're going to talk about our favorite aspects slash characters slash quotes of Lord of the Rings for our books and business today. So uh, that is our business that we're going to tend to. Uh, but Tim, you want to give us the drop? Books and business. All right. Did we decide who's going to go first? <laughs> I think you or I are. You or I are? Yeah, is not oh, Tim. No. You or I is? Yeah. Tim is not. Tim are I, not. I can. You can. Why don't you dive? Okay, in? I'm gonna. I'll start, quotes. and I will say. Why don't you start and finish since you have so many? Okay, you mean to do all of it right right away? No. Okay, so favorite character. I'm gonna go with favorite character. Ooh. I'm. 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 I'll just say right now. I'll say right now. I'm really enjoying Tom Bombadil. <laughs> Because I, I found this copy of a book that uh, was my uncle's a long time ago, and it's actually another work of Tolkien that is, it's a, it's a standalone, it's poetry and songs, it's called The Adventures of Tom Bombadil, and it's just like, kind of like, uh, it's just funny little poems, and like his little adventures, and uh, yeah, and so Tom Bombadil, favorite character. I'm and surprised then, that you picked Tom Bombadil. Yeah, well, I mean... Yeah, I am too. I really... I, I think I, I think me and Tim yeah. know who we thought you were going to pick. Yeah. Gimli? No, Treebeard. Yeah, okay, that's why I said right now. Oh, I right see. Right now. I see. Ooh, I like that qualifier. I'm going to use that in the future. Okay. What do you like? Well, right now. So right now. I will then give, I will then give my that's favorite horrendous. quotes. My favorite quotes, which not to let the the cat out of the bag here, but... Don't be hasty, <laughs> well which done. is Treebeard. Well played. But then I, I, I really like a couple of, uh, I really like a couple of Gandalf's quotes. He who has to break a thing to find out what it is has left the path of wisdom. That's a good. It's a great Gandalf quote. And then another great Gandalf quote. Uh, he's talking to Pippin, and I think it's the last chapter in the first half of the Two Towers. I think. Uh, if I've, but I'm not 100% sure, but he said, he's speaking to Pippin and is talking about like having your hand burnt. He says, no, the burned hand. Well, no, actually I don't remember the context. I don't think, I, I don't think this is like Palantir area, but anyway, uh, 
No, the burned hand teaches best. After that, advice about fire goes to the heart. Oh, that's good. So like you have instruction about, hey, don't touch that. But then there's actually wisdom in failing, like you know, like it's it's a very mm-hmm. interesting sagey wizardy type of a quote. Like you know everything you learned about how bad fire is is really helpful to you after you've burnt your hand, <laughs> and then you've learned your lesson. So I, I like that quote. No, the burned hand teaches best. After that, advice about fire goes to the heart. Um, so that's three three great quotes and a, and a character. That last quote, I was just talking to another teacher, and we were talking about how we were talking about this topic and we're like, how do we get, you know, college students to understand this thing we were talking about. And it's, it's one of those where you give advice, you give advice, you give advice, and then they go and do it anyways. But until, until it all falls down, ah, you know, the advice didn't really go to where it needed to. So would you say that you may be, would you be in favor of intentional affliction for the purpose of spiritual awareness? I don't know if I'd use the word intentional. I would say it would depend well, on careful. who's intentionally. <laughs> it would depend on who's intentionally afflicting, and as long as it's that one person, I'm totally in favor of like it. Like God. Yeah, but if like yeah. Tim's in charge of the intentional intentional <laughs> affliction, I'm not sure I want that. Yeah. Well, I I do think that you can plan rigor yeah. for a student to teach them lessons, and yeah. so I think that would be an intentional like difficult assignments that we plan would be an intentional affliction okay. to train them. Yeah. And remember and it's, that, it's not necessarily that the difficulty is like they're learning a specific knowledge point, but that the rigor of going through the difficulty and the assignments forming them, it's a part of the pedagogy. But anyway, just remember that we're rigor, not supposed to talk about pedagogy. <laughs> we're supposed to talk about Lord of the Rings. So let's talk about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I'll talk about, um, this is as far as like characters are concerned. Um, my characterization is really kind of slanted. I watched the movie, the movies a lot uh, before I ever read the book. In fact, how many times have you guys read the books? I've read it once through, and then I've I've made it through book one of the Fellowship a second time. And I'll, I've seen the movie so with, many uh, times. A conservative three and a half. Okay, so I've read it twice, but the first time I read um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It was probably five years ago, so it wasn't. I had watched the movie for a very, very long time before I had ever read the books, and uh, so my favorite character I'm going to mention is slanted because of how the books develop the character so differently than the movies. And I'm going to pick Frodo. In mm-hmm. the movies, Frodo's very impotent and foolish, uh, but the book paints him in a very different light. Yeah. He's actually very wise. Sam makes mistakes. Sam is the fool. And, um, and Frodo is the sage, is the wise man who makes the correct decision time and time again. So I really like how the character of Frodo is developed in the book. And, uh, so, um, the trial that he undergoes, his failure in the end, um, but through the sovereignty (laughs) of, uh, succeeding. To give Sam a little credit, he does like... Save the whole enterprise in the third book. I mean, by third book, I mean, well, in between uh, Two Towers and Return of the King. He does, and he's definitely a characteristic of a, of a, of a loyal friend. Yeah. And so I really do like Sam as that uh, character. But just how the movies portrayed Frodo, I was very, um, I don't know, it was, it was just very, very different. 
in the um, in the books. So uh, I've read the books twice. So I was at one time, and then I received the really nice glossy hardcover books for Christmas one year, and then I read them to my children. So I've read through the series twice. Just to add another note, like there's two, one very prominent character, and then another not very prominent but popular character that are the, the movies I think kind of whiff. And the less prominent of the two, Faramir, oh, uh, they completely whiffed that. Them. They did, Faramir. Because he, yeah. he is portrayed in the book as a very virtuous, strong character. And then the movie, uh, he does not act at all the way he does in the books with what he does with Frodo and Sam. They make him rather effeminate. Yes. Uh, and then, then the other one is Aragorn, which is a much more prominent character. Because I, th- I feel like he's portrayed in the movies as such a reluctant king like oh i don't really want this but i'm gonna do it anyway type of a vibe and i couldn't really point to one specific thing that that proves that but he is not that way in the books like he he knows what he's gonna do um and so i think you know just why you should read the books first anyway so so for my two characters uh sam and faramir actually are who i was going to bring up so Sam, because I never, I, I, when I read through it, the one time I've read through it, um, we know that during, when Frodo gets taken by Shelob and then Sam's going to follow in the book, when Sam's narrating his thoughts, that was where I remember thinking Tolkien's doing something more than just telling a story at this moment. He's trying, like there's something else going on, or I should say that the way he's writing is affecting internally what's going on. And I do think that loyalty was what jumped out at me about Sam. So I, I like the loyalty aspect. And then Faramir was the guy who totally surprised me because like for you, the book, or the movies, he's kind of this dopey guy or whatever. But in the book, I remember being surprised multiple times. So I really like that. And I think there's a lot of characters. It's hard to pick a favorite, I suppose. But I do really like Sam. So my quote that I'm going to read is actually a Frodo quote. And it's going to go along with what you said there, Tim. So in chapter eight, which is the fog on Barrow Down, Frodo gets himself caught. And uh, so he's in this cave and it says this, it says, and there's a reason I like this quote. I'll explain it. It says, when he came to himself again for a moment, he could recall nothing except a sense of dread. Then suddenly he knew that he was imprisoned, caught hopelessly. He was in a barrow. A barrow white had taken him and he was probably already under the dreadful spare of the Barrow Whites, about which whispered tales spoke. He dared not move, but lay as he found himself flat on his back upon a cold stone with his hands at his breast. But though his fear was so great that it seemed to be part of the very darkness that was round him, he found himself, as he lay thinking about Bilbo Baggins and his stories, of their jogging alone, along together in the lanes of the Shire and talking about the roads and adventures. There is a seed of courage, often deeply it is true, in the heart of the fattest and most timid hobbit, waiting for some final and desperate danger to make it grow. Frodo was neither very fat nor timid. Indeed, though he did not know it, Bilbo and Gandalf had thought him to be the best hobbit in the Shire. I like that thought about there's the seed of courage in him, and what what does it take to get the courage to grow? He actually has to be in a situation where he needs to be courageous. And I, what I like about this is this is where Tolkien reminds me of Lewis, 
because I think there's like a perception about the way life is that's true here. Like there's times where you don't know what's in you and you had to take care of something. Like you had to work this many hours. You had to do this thing. And the Lord gives grace in those moments. And anyways, I just thought it was a good bit of writing and uh, just really like it. So, so because, you know, we can do whatever we want on the podcast. It's, it's a birthday party. We can do whatever we want. Um, so two other things. I'll just say that things that, um, well, maybe not two. Uh, things that I wish the books or the movies would have done to capture the books. I actually think one of the more masterful ways that it's written is how the action unfolds. So at the end of, uh, I think it's Two Towers, the scene that closes is, you know, Frodo is paralyzed and taken by the orcs and Sam thought he was dead and he wasn't. And now he's like, how do I get him back? And uh, right at the end, it's like the orcs have gone through and closed the door and Sam doesn't know how to save Frodo. And he's like trying to figure this out. And there's like this like frantic, like, what are we going to do? And then you think about that. The next book doesn't come out for a year. The beginning of the return of the king. And, you know, you've waited a year to figure out what's going to happen. And you're like, man, we just left. And it was Sam and Frodo. And Frodo is like, you know, is he going to live? What's Sam going to do? And you don't see Sam or Frodo at the beginning of the return of the king. You have to wait a substantial amount of time in the story to get anything about them. And I just think that that's so masterful of, of storytelling, which, however, when you make the movie, you can't like cut up action that way because no one would enjoy it. You know, like there's, a, there's an appeal to the entertainment value, and that's why they completely restructure how those scenes unfold in the movies. But man, I like when I first like read through the books and caught that sequencing, because if, if, you, if you've watched the movies and then you compare them closely the timelines to the books you'll notice a lot of things like that where like the time frames and that that you know and it's like man yeah like did did they miss an opportunity there could you imagine like to go to the theater and watch return of the king in 2003 and you're like what's gonna happen and you don't see sam or frodo for an hour and a half like and everyone would have probably hated it but that i think was like a better way to tell the story I don't know. I, um, I think he intentionally did it that way to build the suspense in the book. And I just think that's really interesting. You know, imagine you were like the biggest Lord of the Rings fan in the world and you had read the two towers and you waited a whole year and you're just like, when am I going to see Sam and Frodo? And it's like such a cool narration in that way. But so there's a guy, there's a theologian, Andy Nacelli. And he has an, an essay on this where he talks about the difference between the movies and the books. And he says he thinks Tolkien is a really good world creator. Like he's creating this world. But he, what he liked about Jackson is he thought Jackson told the story. I don't know if he said better. I want to be careful. Like he thought he did a better, a better job at telling the story. But also I think. What, what's at the center of this Neil Postman would definitely recognize is the medium. Mm-hmm. It's like you got this yep. chunk of time in a theater and you've got to do all this. Cause like in the books, Frodo's like a young boy and like 20 years go by before he even leaves. And 
So it is interesting, but yeah, the whole unfolding of it, that would be, I don't know. That'd be pretty think, rough. Think about the expectation too of an author. Like, I don't know if you guys get frustrated with really long, long movies, but if you were to ask Tolkien, how long do you think it's going to take someone to read this? What would be a reasonable expectation of one of the three, you know, like six to 10 hours, you know, like, uh, I mean, for, for, I'm thinking like a, someone younger, like an average reading, like it's, they're not going to blaze through Lord of the Rings in an hour and a half or two hours. You know, may, could, could you, if we put one of us in a room and gave us the, the book, Return of the King, and then you put another one of us in another room with the extended edition DVD, which one of us would finish first? DVD. <laughs> like, no question. And like, and, and almost like the pacing was a part of the storytelling. Like, I mean, you, you get to in fellowship, the council of Elrond when you finish that chapter, you're not reading anymore. You got to stop. Like the Council of Elrond is a drudge in the book. <laughs> like a picture is worth a thousand words. <laughs> no, that's wrong. I disagree. I know we've talked about it, but I still had to say it. I do. Thank okay. You. I do really like the, uh, actually I can't recollect if this is in the book or not, but I know it's in the movie, but when they leave from Rivendell and uh, Frodo, like under his breath in the movie, Gandalf, which way is Mordor? He's like, left. It's like, I can't, I can't remember if it's left or right, but I thought I chuckled. <laughs> that was line. very crafty. Yeah, yeah. I thought mm -hmm. that was a good line. Anyway, uh, Tim, why don't you uh, give us a quick preview of what's in this episode, if you remember what's in this episode, <laughs> and, uh, and then we'll segue that way. So I've been working through this idea of light and revelation. Uh, how, do you, how do you know what to do when you just don't know what to do? Uh, so we've talked about Abraham, we started in Genesis 12, and then we went to Psalm 1, Isaiah 2 and 8, Isaiah 50, and now we're coming back to Genesis 12. We're going to look at Abraham, the man of faith. He has faith in the beginning of the chapter, but does he have faith at the end of the chapter? Let's have a conversation about faith. This is uh, the conclusion to a series of episodes. I began in Genesis chapter 12. We talked about Abram, and Abram was called on the Lord to go. We talked about how he didn't have a whole lot of revelation. He didn't really, he didn't know where he was supposed to go. God simply told him to go. And that's what he did. He picked up his household and he left. And then as he journeyed through Canaan, God says, this is the land which I am going to give to you. So um, not many people really have that faith, that faith of Abraham, when uh, God says, do this, where they just say, okay, and then they go. Often is what we want is we want additional revelation. We want additional light. So from the discussion on Abram in uh, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9, we then talked about uh, how the Word of God is our source of revelation. Now, Abram was a little different. God divinely revealed to him, this is what you need to do. The modern-day Christian receives that guidance and revelation from the Word of God. And so, in Psalm chapter 1, even, it states that the law of the Lord is my meditation. As we meditate upon the Word of the Lord, it's like a tree 
that is gulping up the, the rivers of water. And this metaphor illustrates how a man is blessed, a person is blessed, um, in that they have a foundation, they have a rooting, and uh, they produce foliage, which provides shadow, which pro- provides protection, and they provide uh, fruit, which would be sustenance, uh, not only to themselves, but to others. So this um, continuing that idea that the revelation of God is the source of knowledge and the person who obeys the word of the Lord is the blessed individual uh, was the theme of that second ep- episode. Then we went to, uh, by the way, that was episode 99. Then we went to Isaiah 2 and 8 in episode 103, where we talked about how Israel was not satisfied with the revelation that God had given to them. They wanted additional light. And this is when we built upon this idea of the the metaphor of the light. Uh, Israel wanted more light than the light that God would give them. So if you think through Abram, Abram, he didn't have a lot of revelation. God simply said, go. He didn't say where or anything, but Abram obeyed. Israel is not satisfied with the, the little bit of revelation God has given, and they do not want to wait on the Lord. Uh, so that terminology is used in Isaiah chapter 8, where, where Isaiah and his prophets are commended to wait on the Lord, to trust him, even though they don't really know what is going on. From there, from Isaiah 2 to 8, then we went to Isaiah chapter 50, and we looked at light and the revelation of God um, in the life of the servant. And so the servant does have light. God tells him, this is what you need to do. But what God is calling him to do is not something desirable. And when God calls us to do something that we don't want to do, (laughs) our temptation is to create some other light some other light that's consistent with what we really want to do. And so we developed this theme in Isaiah chapter 50, which, by the way, that was episode 106, um, where the, the servant, he does not create some different light. He simply does what God says to do and trusts in the Lord to help him through the trial. The exhortation at the end of Isaiah 50 is to follow the example of the servant and to walk in darkness and to trust the Lord to help you. In verse 11 of Isaiah 50, it then uh, condemns the people who create their own light, uh, who who don't walk in darkness, because remember, darkness is walking in the light of the Lord. You're trusting God. Uh, instead, they make their own light. And so then they walk by their own path and, and they're condemned in that text. Okay, so that's a summary of like the last five episodes, which I've been working through. Now we're going to actually come back to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. So remember in verses one through nine, he had faith and he went. Now in verses 10 through 20, we have a different scene. And that's the content for today's episode. I'm going to just read through the text. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore it will happen, when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live 
because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, She is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go away. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Okay, so in the first section, Abraham's the man of faith. God says, go, and he goes. Now here in this scene, we have a different scenario. Okay, so I'm going to kind of interact with you guys a little bit on this. As we take a look at Genesis 12, verses 10 through 20, and just kind of ask you some questions. The setting of Genesis 12, 10 through 20, what is the setting? What do you mean by setting? Good question. He's in Egypt, okay? okay and that's when what does you he arrive? That's kind of what I mean by setting. The setting is Egypt. <laughs> but the setting is... Where, where, what verse do they get to in Egypt? Yeah, you might want to just have Genesis 12 up as we work through this. What verse? Yeah, do when they does he get actually to get to Egypt? Uh, verse 14. Okay, so then they arrive there. What's happening in the first three verses? A conversation. They have a conversation. And what's the conversation about? Not being his wife. Not being his wife. All right. So I think this was actually a ruse that um, Abram played a lot of times. I don't think this was just like a one-time thing. We see it later on in uh, the Abrahamic stories where he did the same thing to Abimelech. I think he said this all the time because wherever he's going, I shouldn't say that all the time. I wouldn't be surprised if this was a regular uh, narrative that the two of them had. We know for sure it happened multiple times. At least two. And then his son did the same thing too. (laughs) Apples don't fall far. So what Abram says here, is it true? Well, I mean, kind of. Like, technically. Did he say a lie? So I think this is what we do a lot of times. When we're put in a difficult situation, it's kind of like, hmm, well, how can I figure this out? How can I get through this safely? Because that's what his concern is. How can I get through this safely without sinning? And then what's our definition of sin there? (laughs) Very stretchy. Okay, so like, I didn't say a lie. She is his sister. I think the issue, I mean, it's true. She's his sister. But I think it's the, his intent is not to be his intent is to mislead him. I think that's it. His intent is to deceive him and to not realize okay. something. Okay. So I want us to think through this episode in, in light of, say, Genesis 12, 1 through 9, where Abram is just told, go, and he obeys and goes. And also this idea of light and knowing how to live one's life, particularly in light of uh, Isaiah 50 with the servant whom God says, this is the path I want you to walk on, and I want you to have faith and believe and trust me 
And here's the, here's the kicker. Here's the thing. I don't want, you're not, you're not supposed to create a light of your own making. Okay. What was Abram doing here? Was this the life of faith or was he creating light? Was he making a path that would lead him to safety? Interesting. Okay. So let me develop this maybe a little bit more. Well, your, your light metaphor yeah. has, been, has been knowledge from God. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't like it, you find your own answer. I think that's what you said in the last episode. Yes. Uh-huh. And so here, I guess I see what you're saying. He, you're saying he's doing that? Yeah. Well, he's going into a situation where he's like, well, how do I do this? What do I do? How do I handle this situation? They're going to kill me. Okay. So he's driven by the fear of death, which generally when you think through wisdom, okay, when you see danger up ahead, that would be prudence. You would exercise prudence and say, okay, that road looks dangerous. It's snowing outside. That's really dangerous. I think I'm going to use wisdom and stay home. Okay. So you see danger up ahead. So you choose a different path. Abram sees danger up ahead. Somebody in Egypt's going to kill him. So guess what he's going to do? He's going to choose a different path. I think this is a ruse that he used multiple times. Mm-hmm. Does that kind of make sense? Yes. Yeah, so I'm when we're you. creating, uh, when we're creating light, when we're trying to figure out how to live life, okay, the opposite of faith, it is the opposite of faith is creating light of our own, finding the path that we're supposed to live on outside of, or apart from God's revealed will. Okay. So I like to use this as an illustration, this text as an illustration, because so we do the thing this all the time. I know I struggle with it. Mm-hmm. And this is where true wisdom, okay, knowing what you're supposed to do and just obeying God in faith, all right, is, is very different than what Abram's doing here. Because he is not just being like, well, we're going to go down there and she is my wife and I'm going to make that clear to everybody. <laughs> Instead, he's like, you know what? I know what I can do. I'll just tell him, oh, she's my sister. And that's true. And sure, some Egyptian guy is going to want to marry her. And I'm the brother. So they'll have to come and talk to me about it. And then I'll just delay or, yeah, I don't think so. Or create some kind of impossible scenario that won't happen or whatever. Does that make sense? That's That would have been his plan, his ploy, quite likely. I mean, the text doesn't literally say that, but we can kind of see that that's probably how he handled it until a certain person gets involved. And that's not going to work so well with Pharaoh. And then he's in big trouble because how in the world is he going to get out of this one? And how does he get out of this one? I mean, he didn't get himself out of it. You know. Well, the Lord inflicts it's so funny because the lord inflicts diseases upon the pharaoh right and it's just it's ironic with what's going to happen in the future and it diseases. is yeah yeah but yeah he the lord curses the pharaoh's household right and so god gets him out of it that's literally what happened god in, divinely intervenes god's promised something to abram at the beginning of the chapter and even with abram's uh, folly, okay, which is what this is. He didn't trust the Lord. He doesn't have faith here. He creates a path of his own making. He created a light, a path that he would walk on that he thinks would be the right path that would work. Mm-hmm. And then where did it lead him? It led him into trouble. 
to which God in his grace and mercy came and intervened hmm. and got him out of it. And see, so I believe this is just an illustration of what we see, uh, what we've been talking about through this entire uh, several, several weeks. Abram was a man of faith, verses 1 through 9. How do we know what we need to do to live life? We need to immerse, well, we need to imbibe the Word of God, Psalm chapter 1. You're just constantly drinking up God's Word. Isaiah 2 and Isaiah 8, okay? We aren't satisfied with the light that God gives, so what do we do? We go after other revelation. That might be, for some people, soothsayers or witch doctors or whatever else. That was Israel's problem in Isaiah chapter 8. Or we might go to other sources of revelation, of insight, of knowledge to figure out on how to live our lives. Then Isaiah 50, the servant, provides us a pattern of one who truly just walks in, into darkness right into the mess, and he does exactly what God wants him to do. Abram doesn't do that. He doesn't follow the servant's example. I know I'm going back in history now to Abram, but it's the same principle. Abram creates a life, a light for himself. He doesn't walk by faith in this latter episode. He trusts himself and his own wisdom. This is an illustration of how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Truth always comes first. You just say, you know what, this is a dangerous situation. One of these guys might kill me. Oh, well, I'm just going to say she's my wife because that's what's honest and that's what's true. And then what am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to trust the Lord for him to take care of me. So that's it. That concludes it. Questions, comments, nasty remarks? Do you think any part of it is... So I, I, I'll, I'm going to push back on you just a little Push bit. it. So... That interpretation of that passage yes. is not explicitly stated. We It's a narrative text, so how do we read narrative texts? Yeah, but and, so still, but it is not explicitly stated. That he was not the man of faith? That he's creating his own light and he's not fearing the Correct. Lord. Like you're, you're making some deductions and implications. Correct. I was actually wondering if the financial gain of it is a part of the process at all. Like... Like it does say that he is worried about losing his life, but then there's also a factor here that he gets a lot of things from Pharaoh because he's giving this woman, you know, like he gets, the Pharaoh's dealing really well with him right. because it's his sister and he wants right. to marry his sister. And then the Pharaoh gets afflicted and he sends him away with all that he had. It does mention that. Well, it's not all that Pharaoh had. He sends no, him away with he, all that Abram had. What he gave to Abram. Yeah, Abraham and, seems to have gotten wealthy from the situation, which is a little bit interesting too, because Abraham was deceitful and everything. Yeah, so I'm just I'm just curious if 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 that is maybe a little bit more of it than like give you maybe give you some insight into his motivation that it's not actually just that he's afraid of dying. He states at the beginning that he is afraid of dying, and I think that's and actually a genuine statement that things would go well with him. Yes, and the well with him is further described in the next line that I would live. Yeah, but then, but then what happens? Like, it's, mm -hmm. you know, the Pharaoh deals well with him, and it's not that he allows Correct. him to live, it's that he gives him all these things. Yes, and it is that same word, and so it is, it may go well with me that I don't die. So you, and then you it goes all, well with him, and he gets all this stuff. Do you think at all that there's some um, desire here to, like, I'm, I'm gonna, they're going to think you're my sister, and then they're going to give us a lot of things because they want to marry you. And then that legitimately happens and he gets all this stuff from Pharaoh and he's, you're right. He's caught. Like, how does he get out of it? He can't get out of that. 
because the Pharaoh is going to take his wife to be his wife. And then the Lord gets him out of it. And he, but he still leaves with all that stuff. So it's an interesting take on maybe why he's doing that. Yeah. So maybe all there's this a financial stuff, gain. I don't think that the financial gain is part of the scenario here. I think the financial gain sets up the next chapter. So chapter 13, Lot and Abram have too much stuff. And so they have to separate. So what is going on with all the stuff? The stuff is mentioned again at the beginning of uh, chapter 13, verse 2. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And then Lot has all this stuff too. So that sets up the next scene. Mm -hmm. So commentators have noticed, hey, he got all this stuff and it seems to have come from Pharaoh. Now that stuff creates a problem, another problem in his life with Lot in the next scene. However, I mean, with this whole thing, there's, there's a correlation. But what is the connection between all of those things? And scholars aren't even really sure. It's almost like just a sovereign God providentially works through the workings of sinful man, makes Abram wealthy, which then requires Abram and Lot to separate, which is what needed to happen. Sure. Okay, so that's a theme that's developed then in the next chapter. So you have the sovereign hand of God working through all of these little details, but I don't think that's the message of chapter 12. I think the chapter 12 message is you didn't trust me. You created a path that you thought would be good and right. You lived not in the fear of God. You lived in the fear of man. And guess what that got you? It got you into trouble. So that's why I think the biblical theological lesson that we're supposed to take from it is you need to walk by faith and not even in just, I mean, he didn't lie. That's where I like to go to. I am very good at, I I used to be really, really good. I think I've grown in this, but (laughs) you could ask my parents. I was very good about, I I would not lie, but I was really good about sneaking around that truth. And I thought I was good. No, I wasn't. I was still creating my own path to get what I wanted. Hmm. I wasn't some kid or child or young person I, I, of faith. I like what you're saying. Yeah. But you but don't I, think it's in but, the text. But I am, I am a little skeptical of like, maybe you had that idea and then that fit what you're reading rather than yeah. like, it clearly says that. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong, yeah. but cause I do, I do think what you're saying is right. And that maybe is an illustration of what you're saying, but that's not exactly what that text is intended to teach. Yeah. Maybe, which, you know, semantics. So. No, I mean, you know, I want to teach what the text is, I think, trying to teach. Yeah. So through the narrative and who's doing the tech, the interchange, I should have developed this more with you guys, and then maybe you could have seen it. That's the problem. I, I, when I just it. kind of I think went I'm on your side. Blasted right to it and said what I thought that it was. But the speech that you have here, that's why you have this dialogue between Abram and Sarah beforehand, before they get there. It's like him yeah. creating the path and saying, "Hey, this is the way forward." And the narrator gives us that speech, and then you have the big speech of Pharaoh. It's like. The beginning section and the latter section correspond. You have Abram's speech at the beginning, and you have Pharaoh's speech at the end. And in the middle is just all the details of how they got there. I completely agree with that. But the speech doesn't say, I'm going to create my own way and not do what God told me to do. You you are interpreting some things there. You are correct. And it's not going to make a direct statement like that. So the way narrative works, I would would think that it, it does lead you to that conclusion though particularly in the context of the the beginning of the chapter two where it states that he just went and here he doesn't just believe god and do what he's supposed to do 
he creates a path that he thinks is right. Anyway, that's fun. Thanks for bouncing back with me, though, and pushing back. It's a good discussion, Carter. I appreciate it. We, do we, are we ready to be done? I'm good. I'm agreed, good to agree to disagree on it. Because I, 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 would, I would point out one more thing. Go ahead. So in this passage, you're looking to the dialogue to draw your main point. But the Abraham went at the beginning of the chapter is not in dialogue. That's narrative mm-hmm. main mainline. Yeah, you're correct. So why would you put a lot of meaning into that? That's not dialogue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, dialogue is not always. It's not and like just a, just so the listener knows. It's not everything like, I'm saying about Hebrew narrative. I learned from Tim. <laughs> so it's like you know. So the a dialogue is not like a a golden uh, yeah. Uh, uh, finger clues. that's clue that's going to answer all of your questions you, gotta, all the you time. do have to take all the things into account there are <clears throat> other details right and in the latter section i do believe that the dialogue is pointing to the main point of the text and kind of guides you in that and, path. and we're just simply doing what bible study teacher andy making good i don't know what we're doing making, <laughs> I, I don't think making good observations yes that's yeah. what he's after so observe the text for yourself. I, I would say I agree with you, but I'm not 100% convinced. That's good. I will say this, though. If he's wrong like you're saying, then his entire application for the listener is wrong. Do you understand that? Like what you just well, said? Well, you can, you can have an application, application that's correct, question. and you can draw it from an incorrect text. Right. So my application is still right, but Carter would agree with the application, but he doesn't think it's here. Mm. Or he's I mean, you, questioning You could, you could mm. take something that is true and right, and you could seek to demonstrate it from a text that the text actually doesn't demonstrate it. And what mm-hmm. you're saying is no less true, application no less valid. Hmm. I just wouldn't say that that particular text would be the one that is intending to teach you that truth or application. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a narrative though. I think it's, I think there's, it's a little bit different than a didactic epistle. I, I, I completely out. agree. And I, I completely agree. I and also the thing we're not talking about is this is on the backside of the Abrahamic covenant. He's going to bless people who bless him and curse people who curse him. So maybe that's part of it too. So mm. I don't know. Maybe this is a, we got to come back to it someday. I don't think I'm going to be coming back to it, but <laughs> I think I'm good. But hey, listener, you listen, you, you, you don't study it You out. don't go back to things. When God tells you to go, you <sighs> go. Exactly. And I've gone and done and I'm on to the, I put my hand to the plow. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> so listener, you study it out for yourself. And uh, think through Revelation, and are you trying to create a path of your own, or are you walking by faith and just taking that next step? For listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast, we would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.